0: Laura, welcome hey, back.
1: Thanks. Man, it's been a crazy ride since that last episode. <laughs> this is what you say when you've recorded the back to back and we literally are here a week later. So mm-hmm. we can't make that joke.
0: No, really a lot has happened. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> no joke.
1: Yeah. Okay. So last week, mm-hmm. you just want to jump in?
0: Yeah. Let's start with, let's go through let's your recap. thing first. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, do you want to recap? We don't have to recap. Okay. No, but I will
1: say that if you're listening to this first in your first time listening to like this podcast or... Our conversation, like maybe I would say that it's you don't have to listen to the part one to understand or to get anything out of this one, but it's, it's a got, lot of context, mm-hmm, a lot of yeah, all yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, let's start with your thing for first.
1: You want to start with me first? Yeah, let's do you first. Wow, I wasn't prepared. I thought I was preparing my empathy face, no, to listen to you no. like a lot of good facial expressions like this one, and you
0: can still do that as you tell your own story, it'll be and, great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a lot of like over nodding like man Let's it's it's so crazy so i, I full disclosure uh, i was gone this this weekend traveling playing shows i'm a musician people don't know i don't know how who listens to this podcast so i don't they know, know I, either what anymore. they know about me um but for if you're just finding this i'm a musician so i played shows this weekend and driving back i i listened to to prepare for this conversation today i listened to the part one episode and it's really interesting mostly because we're we're so interesting um, I'm just. Kidding. What me and you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're fascinating. Uh, Sorry, say that again, so I can
0: agree right off the bat.
1: First thing, we're so interesting. Yes, I know, right? I could just listen to us for hours. <laughs> me too. I uh, do. But it is it is amazing. First off, how much of that? If you want to know what it's like to to like be around us, that's basically it. Mm-hmm. it. We we literally this morning had that conversation. Like we we have so many great episodes, quote unquote that get unrecorded.
0: Yeah. It's just us talking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so anyway. So want. if you want to be friends with us, or if you if you like this podcast and you want some extra content, just become friends with us and you'll get to hear it all the time. Just
0: come hang out in the kitchen.
1: I guess so. Um, it does feel in a lot of ways, talking about my religious upbringing specifically, how that feels like I'm talking about another person. Mm-hmm. You know? But that is me. And me not that long ago, really.
0: Do you feel like you've had a couple different lifetimes? Because I yeah. feel like I have, like...
1: I feel like you're in your third...
0: I am. I'm I'm in my third... Your third act? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've said that before. Yeah.
1: I love that, though.
0: There's my Maryland life and my Utah life, and Mm -hmm. then, like, the part where, you know, after my husband died, Mm -hmm. it was, like, a whole different thing. Yeah. So, you can backtrack if you want, but one of the things that struck me early on when you and I were kind of comparing our upbringings uh, was the fact that you got married very early Mm -hmm. also. Like, you were pretty young, Mm -hmm. um, and that was... Not expected, but, you know, kind of encouraged. For sure. And so do you want to start there? I would
1: say that it was both encouraged and expected. I think that, well, I kind of ended last week's episode talking about a lot of the sort of relational, uh, expectations as far as romantic stuff goes in my church in my religion and in my culture, because not only was it a Southern Baptist church, it was a Southern Baptist church in the, in the South, which they are everywhere. Um. And it's also a Southern Baptist church in the South in a small town. So it's kind of hit like boom, boom, boom with the kind of expectations. And I think a lot of of that, which is based on centuries before or even like, you know, decades before, uh, not to get into all of that. But, you know, there's a lot of like, well, life expectancy at one point was 30. Mm -hmm. So get married as soon as possible. Crank out babies as soon as possible. And then that just kind of blends into like it's everything can be boiled down to. Well, this is how we've always done it. Right. And so there's a lot of, you know, as soon as you look like an adult and talk like an adult and start to take on adult responsibilities, it's like, ooh, now it's time to take on a lifelong relationship with the person that you, you know, are horny for right now. Mm-hmm. You know, because in high school, you're just like super like, ah, like it's not uncommon to have multiple crushes at once. Mm. And if one of them reciprocates that, then it's like, okay, yeah, this is the one. Just because they do that and that isn't specifically my scenario because um, my I, I genuinely wasn't I wasn't pressured to like marry my wife. I, I was we were just like going with the flow mm-hmm. and we genuinely loved each other. We were best friends that just were like we like being together and it just turned into like that relationship. but we were both youth group kids. we literally have the same story essentially, where we were both youth group kids in the same church. We grew up down the street from each other. So there's a lot of like, yeah, let's just keep doing this, you know, you know, and who we were at 16, 17 were, was pretty damn compatible, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, we were childhood sweethearts. Everybody told us how much they love us as a couple, like adults in our church, family members were just like, you guys are just the cutest. We love, oh my gosh, you're going to have the cutest babies. That kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and we yeah. were w- months into dating and it, we all, we had a pretty good sense of humor about it, but there was definitely like an expectation a very quickly or a conversation, I should say very quickly um, before we were even graduated from high school. they like, yeah, we're probably going to get married. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't we just do this forever? Because when you're a kid, whatever moment you're in is that moment is going to be forever. It's why school feels like it lasts forever. It's why, like, literally, while you are in school, the class feels like it's gonna take forever. Every emotion you are feeling, you think that's gonna be you. You can't see an end to it. So, mm-hmm. but and that goes with good feelings too. So, I think a lot of that. I am trying to be fair to uh, you know, I don't want to paint like an unfair picture right. to to my marriage because I entered into it. You know, I mean, I, I definitely was a was a, a horny Christian kid, and the only way to like the only safe sex when you are a Christian kid. Or teenager is marriage. Right. <laughs> that's that's the only way that it's seen as okay. Right. Um, it's so funny though, because I was thinking back on it. Um, I didn't really talk about this a lot, but and I think any Christian kid will sort of like understand this. But there is like a couple different loopholes, if you will, mm-hmm. that kids get away with. And it's like, well, sex is like a penis into a vagina, and as soon as that happens, you you are no longer a virgin. Right. But Everything else is fair game because the the Bible says nothing specifically about, you know, Was that how it was for you, like, specifically? Like, you're, like, I was scared of everything, mostly just because I I was more scared, and this is not even a religious thing, but I was more scared of trying something and being bad at it and then feeling stupid for not knowing how to do a thing. But, like, my girlfriend at the time was not any more advanced than I was. But it was that kind of thing where we, we both just were like, ah, what if we feel stupid? And so let's just not you know and there were moments in time in our in our courtship and our dating courtship meaning like we were we were like we're dating and to get married like that's mm-hmm. the idea where like she was more like we should have sex like i would be okay if that happened and i'd be like I'm no i'm scared and then vice versa where i'd be mm-hmm. like i really th- i want to i think i want to have sex and she'd be like no 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 she was like just knowing us like oh, i probably get pregnant right away you know kind of thing like mm-hmm. okay because you know we had no knowledge of how to use condoms or right like I said, no sex education, nothing. Ultimately we were friends. We were in love with whatever, what that means when you're 18, 19. And we dated, we got married at 22, but we had dated for five years before that. Mm -hmm. And we were engaged for like a year and a half. So people are like, Oh wow, you're young. And I was like, yeah, but we've been together since we were 16. And they're like, okay, well that's pretty good. I was like, but the, the 6 years from 16 to 22 is a lot mm-hmm. but it's different than if we were dating 6 years from you know like 25 to 31 right
0: it's still very developmental very
1: different that's me uh it's very different development uh, developmentally and ultimately i think we we kind of decided even fairly recently that like oh we were like supposed to just be each other's like first love Mm -hmm. and then move forward. The one you
0: wonder about and look up on Facebook later.
1: Exactly. And then we run into each other, you know, Walmart in our hometown with our, you know, actual spouses Mm -hmm. or whatever. And they're like, Oh, Hey, and we're very friendly, you know? And I think that ultimately, because of the way that our system was set up religiously and in our small town, people grew, grew up, went to like graduated high school and then went to the college in the town that we were in and then ended up working in a job, like in a field that was also in that town. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't that sense of like, you know, there was something ceremonious uh, and that tells our brains. I feel like as we're growing, like you have now graduated high school for me. Anyway, you graduated high school. Here's a ceremony telling you, you did a thing. Now you're going to go to another town, meet other people from other towns at this college at the school. So you're in a bubble, but it's a bigger bubble. Mm And then, and then you go into a job field or, you know, where it's like the same thing and maybe in a different town or maybe back in your hometown, but there's like a leave and cleave as the Bible says, Mm -hmm. like um, that doesn't really happen. And so it's easy just to be like high school forever, you know, like I'm, you know, which is essentially what I did. I graduated high school and just with the same girlfriend. And then she went to college in the town and then I joined a band, a Christian band that just toured youth groups So I didn't have to grow up at all. Like it was actually seen as like it was it was actually a part of my job. It was it was a benefit if I could still sort of be a kid, like look like an adult, but be a kid and like get, you know, get your hands dirty with kids and like really relate to them on a real level about Christ or whatever. So I, I didn't have to grow up. And so I was never pushed in one way or another to 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 think differently. Than I had always thought, and so I think you that's do the
0: leave pe- part before the cleave part. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because like playing in for all these youth groups and stuff, there was a sense of, and also just being in a band and a musician, especially when you're in your early 20s, is very much like you just get to be a big kid. I mean, there there are musicians now in their 30s who are still just like big kids, and so there's a lot of expectations kind of swirling here, and and I just I just never, I didn't go to the go to college to have. And have experiences with like hear other people's religions or hear other people's thoughts or like debate philosophy. I'm still very insular. Yeah. Yeah. I literally was in the echo chamber of my belief system because mm-hmm. I found other people who believe the same thing as me and we all played different instruments. So we just went on the road. And, you know, I was probably 20. I'm a late bloomer in a lot of ways and I wonder how much of that is because of that. But, uh, You know, I just didn't know. It's so funny because I I talked about this a little bit. But the guys I was in a band with when I was 20, 21, we were all Christians. We would all cuss and then make each other feel guilty for cussing. Uh, We would all, like, talk about masturbation very openly and make a bunch of poop jokes and sex jokes and gay jokes and all that stuff. But then we'd pray at the end of the day that God would forgive us for those things. (laughs) It was so, like, okay, before we go on stage, we have to, like repent of all the things we said today it wasn't said so blatantly like that but and you know we were just like raging hormones and then like I found out like after after the fact that all those dudes were having like ridiculous amounts of sex with their girlfriends and and people they were just dating and people Mm -hmm. they met at shows and stuff like that and I was like the idiot over here following all the rules and you know it's just and I found out that out on my like bachelor party whatever you want to quote unquote, like that I, before I got married, mm. hang out with all my friends that they were like, Oh, I was like, yep. Sex tomorrow night. That'll be interesting kind of thing. And they're like, wait, you haven't had sex yet. <laughs> we all have. And I was like, Oh, okay. I thought we were taking that stuff seriously, which is the story of my life. Like good kid taking Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're all, we're all going to do what we say we're going to do. You
0: take it at face value. Yeah. yeah.
1: Why wouldn't I? Yeah. This is, this is the thing. Like, this is what good Christian people do. And this just goes and, you know, I was once again, like I was the good kid. Like my brother was the bad kid. He said he was going to do all these things and would go to church, but he would draw on the back of the hymnal and he would like go and do the opposite of all that stuff. And that was his rebellion. And I was like, no, this is the way you do it. It's, it's better. And so much of that has to do now. I realize with my like sort of people pleasery, I'm an Enneagram too. So a lot of that is like the helper and the like, I, I like to follow the rules and I like structure like we talked about last episode. Mm. So in a lot of, and that leads into getting married, like getting married young.
0: Let me ask you this. Um, I feel like I grew up not learning how to do things and be an adult. Like I turned 18. I had no idea how to be an adult. And I feel like a lot of families, like if you haven't raised your kids to be like a functioning adult with like basic skills to like take care of themselves, there's like an element of like you kind of like push your kids like into a marriage because it's like well here's another person who can kind of help take care mm-hmm. of you yeah and so there was an element of that with me where i was like the failure to launch person who at 20 you know 21 22 like still didn't know how to like get an apartment by myself you know like do any of those things that i feel like are very kind of basic skills that people learn and i never learned them and there's a thing where it's like here well, here's a person who like will help take care of you and it's like you never learned to be independent first. Was there an element of that with your with your stuff at all?
1: My my mom's main goal was to I th- I think anyway um, was to remove any kind of pain or suffering or any kind of inconvenience from my life. I mean, she definitely was also like if I would ask her a question, she'd be like, "Go look it up." in a book like kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's important that you go to like a book and, and look up what the a meaning of a word is when I just wanted her to tell me, you know, what's yeah. the answer to this? Okay, well work it out. Let's figure it out. So there was a little bit of that when it came to schoolwork, but everything else was just like, Jesus was the answer. Like, mm-hmm. Nope, it's Jesus. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? It's like, God has a plan for it. Don't worry about it. So it's constantly just like offloading problems and offloading stuff when that works. And like, that's a very beautiful spiritual practice, but there needs to be some sort of practicality because like, yeah. we live in a practical world. Yeah. Like as much as like, even if you truly believe that, you know, God has an answer for everything and Jesus is the answer to everything. You still have to live in a world that doesn't take that as, you know, if you, if your landlord calls you because you're six months late on rent, you can't be like, Jesus is going to take care of it. He's going to be like, bitch. Right. Okay. But like PayPal or something right. like figure something out, get a mm-hmm. job. Um, We kind of m- mentioned it in the last episode too. But like that idea of some a lot of parenting is a reaction to you don't really trust yourself that you've done a good enough job to let your kid out into the world, either because you realize, you know, it's it's 10 minutes before the test is due. And you're like, ah, we got a cram. So you try to shove everything into like the last their senior year of high school or you just like have hovered over them the entire time. You know, and you're like, find the blue crayon and they're going for the yellow and you just grab the blue and throw it at me like it's this one. Like, you know, like we're not given enough time to figure it out on our own and at our own pace. And so I there w- I, I didn't get a distinct at the time, maybe in hindsight. I didn't get the distinct idea that like my mom was like my parents were passing me off to get married for that specific reason. But it was said often at parties or Christmases and stuff like that. When people would, or church, when people would ask, you know, like, so the wedding's coming up, kind of thing. And my mom would like joke and say, like, I'm so glad that he's marrying her because, like, I don't have to worry about him anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause my, my then wife was very independent and very, like, mm-hmm. knew how to do things and didn't, if didn't know how to do it, like, she, her upbringing was very, you know, her family kind of imploded when she was young. So she just took care of everything herself because mm-hmm. nobody else was going to. So instead of like, freaking out she just went straight to the like well nobody's gonna do anything for you you have to do everything yourself that's what i'm learning so she she was a very good an adult in a lot of people's mm-hmm. eyes right and i was kind of the mess who was who was still stuck in teenage you know we youth grouped them, you know mm-hmm. and my job wasn't wasn't legitimized at all it was seen as like eh, when's he gonna grow out of this so i'm the sort of like kevin james in <laughs> in the king of queens like the the doofy dude who's like super fun to be around but like can't rely on him to like do any kind of practical things or logistical things like he can't balance a checkbook but like he's fun to have at parties and my wife was the opposite not that she wasn't fun but like she was could get you somewhere on time and blah 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 a, a lot of my experience with being married young was, it wasn't that different from dating, except we lived in the same place and we got to have sex. We mm-hmm. we were these scared kids who were like kind of excited, but we were playing house. We were essentially like, I'll do the I'll play the role of the husband and you play the role of the wife. Isn't this hilarious? They just like, let us do this. <laughs> um, and it's not hilarious. It's messed up, <laughs> but I don't know what I expected. There was nobody in like, this is just what everybody did. So I can't be mad at anybody for not stepping in and being like, uh, maybe wait. Although there was a giant wake of divorces in our families. So yeah. maybe one of those people could have been like, Hey, here's what I learned. But it makes me wonder, like, did they learn anything? Cause a lot of those marriages went s- divorce straight to another man to take care of them or straight to another woman that they can take care of. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they didn't learn anything, but all that to say, and eventually got to the point where we, when we moved, we moved to Nashville that's when everything kind of got real mm-hmm. and we realized that like we, we were absolutely in a bubble and it was exhilarating and exciting. And then it just got to the point where we just, uh, were way over our heads and considered moving back a bunch. We talked about it about three times a month. Ultimately, I don't know. It was really hard. I think often when your marriage isn't like particularly like working, you find a thing that will bond you. And a lot of times people go to kids, like let's just have a kid. And that'll, at least that'll give you something to like, mm-hmm. you know, work together towards or whatever it might be. And and I think moving to Nashville was a large part of that, um, moving away from home. So at at some point we did try that having a kid thing. And uh, this was kind of the break of it all. Like, I think I just kind of blindly at, at, at up until the, the point of us trying to get pregnant, I was just like fall. I was just following kind of along to what I always thought I was calling my parents all the time, several times a week and just kind of asking advice or just like, what should, what, what should I do? And there was a lot of Jesus answers. There was a lot of the, the more I I, I kind of was in the world. I didn't really find that stuff to work for me. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, looking back, I wonder if, if I ever really believed it or if I just constantly wanted to believe it so bad because everybody else was, and maybe they weren't either, you know, especially like thinking back to church camp and stuff like, I, I wanted to get swept away by it all. Like I wanted all of it to be true. I wanted everything that I was taught about Jesus and, and God and the Bible and everything to be literally true, you know, but if asked by somebody or confronted about my faith at all, I didn't know what to say, or I would say kind of what I, it, it was a very like copy and paste philosophy is what I call it. Cause if somebody smart Christian person would say a thing, I would be like that. That's what I believe. And I would memorize it. And then spout that off if anybody ever, mm-hmm. like, asked me about yeah. my faith or my religious upbringing. And then pray that they wouldn't ask me a follow-up question. You know, because I didn't have an answer for that. I just had the thing that I memorized. And then somebody else would say something that was a little bit more, like, over here. And I was like, oh, I like that. And that's now what I believe. And this is how I tracked my, like, f- growth and faith. But it's, that's, faith is supposed to be a very personal thing. And that's not what was happening at all. I was just taking what other people said and using as my own. I was a mockingbird, you know, I just, I wasn't, I didn't have my own voice at all. So all that, all that like led to the point where we were, we're sort of like not really seeing eye to eye with a lot of things, my wife and I. And then it got to the point where like, I remember going to my parents, which I went to my parents five years previous. So frustrated before with like my girlfriend at the time. And I were breaking up a bunch and getting back together and frustrated again and breaking up again and it was it's so clear in hindsight we just needed to break up we hadn't dated other people really like we kind of broke up and tried to and then we were like oh this is terrible because dating is terrible and i went to my parents with this because i think i was living with them at the time i moved in and out of their house a bunch um and my mom was like oh this is just god's way of showing you you need to get married
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: <laughs> which. Is confusing now, but at the time I was like, oh, is it? And he was like, yeah, I was like, Any, like, this is my mom. I remember exactly where I was sitting where she was like, like, you're so frustrated because you need to be together all the time and you're trying to break something up. And that's why you keep coming back together, which is the opposite is what is true. Like, I just need to man up and be like, be like, no, I'm going to yes like when you break up sometimes some breakups especially when you're that young don't stick right away mm-hmm. yeah um and so you know and so you keep go back and you're like or you kind of miss them or you kind of miss the feeling of being with somebody and you're like oh but there it wasn't all bad because our brain and our, our bodies like expel pain or the memory of pain mm-hmm. so we can move forward as and there a are good parts
0: to miss yeah yeah
1: and so we just kept giving my mom pushing this thing And so I was like, okay, maybe. And I literally didn't even propose. I just said like, hey, my mom said we should get married. Is that something you'd be interested in? And she was like, and I was like, I think if we got engaged in March, we could get married next June. That makes sense because you'd be done with school and blah, 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 blah. Because she was in a very intense school that could like, it was basically like taking up all of her time. So I was like, it'd be nice at the end of the day to come home to each other or whatever. And she was like, okay, like, I am so ashamed of this that I, that I just that I used my mom in my proposal. It wasn't even a proposal. It it was literally a proposal. Like you would propose something in a boardroom at work. Like it was like, here's my PowerPoint plan of how this makes <laughs> the most practical sense. Mm-hmm. Everything now in hindsight is so embarrassing <laughs> because there wasn't any kind of, I was a grown person at this point. And then flash forward five years. That's, that's what having a kid was too, which we, we had talked about when we dated, like having kids, but it was very much like, I don't know. I was still kind of getting a, a grapple on like what this new life was looking like. And, and, you know, she was like, we should have a kid. And I was like, I don't really know. Can we put it off? And then I would come in and be like, I think it's time to have a kid. It was the sex conversation all over again. And mm-hmm. she was like, I don't know. I'm kind of liking the fact that we're like kid free right now. So we both got on the same page and had, and started trying to get pregnant. And, uh, the first time we did get pregnant, um, and like, we're so excited and waited the appropriate amount of time and like everything. And then sent out these announcements to everybody and got all the like flooding back of like, oh my gosh, you guys are gonna have the best kid. Like, we love you. Like, this is amazing. Like all the, you know, all this stuff. It was very exciting. And we're like, okay, maybe we can do this. Maybe this will be a thing to kind of unite and keep us get us on the same page. Um, and then like what happens a lot with, uh, with more couples than I think even kind of talk about it these days, but we had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. and that was, I think I was kind of itching towards a little bit towards my sort of faith being on you know like the the sort of Mockingbird mentality, of just not really it had no firm footing to stand on, but this was kind of the all hoping of God, um, being on my side. And, like, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do uh, went away. Because, you know, as much as we were sort of playing house, and I was specifically myself, I won't speak for her. I really don't want to speak for her. But I was really, really trying to follow the rules and do every single thing that I was expected to do and wanted to do. I was the good kid. This was the first time when I was in that hospital room In that ER and when my wife was like something's wrong like there's a lot of blood and we we went there and like we were there for like seven eight hours or something like that coming home from that and just sitting in there and like my parents were on the phone and stuff and like you know they were very loving it felt very like there is no God here Mm -hmm. There isn't, there's no like what, you know, especially cause they don't tell you in any certain terms, exactly what's going on. So we basically just had to be like, is this a miscarriage? Cause they were saying like, well, there's this, there's this, there's this. And then finally when they were like, yes. Um, and it was a very specific type that I don't know the technical jargon for, but we had to like mourn the death of this child, but more than that, which maybe not more than that, but like the death of the expectation Mm -hmm. that all of of what was coming was maybe even harder. You know, there's literally baby stuff in the corner that it doesn't belong to anybody. So we're just like, felt like two idiots with baby stuff in our house and we don't have a baby. And so that was really, really hard. And so dealing with taking care of my wife in this recovery period, she's just in bed for days on end. And like there were people showing up at our door a little bit at the beginning. And then the church we belong to and people in our community just kind of disappeared. Cause I think that the church does really well with community and really well with like weddings and like celebrations Mm -hmm. and funerals even, but we don't know as a church congregation how to deal with grief. Mm -hmm. We think we need to stay away. We think we need to give people time. And as we've heard, you know, a number of times in this podcast already ask people what they need
0: everyone's so afraid to say the wrong thing
1: everyone's so afraid and like and i've that been thing. that person i've been the person yeah. that like doesn't know what to do so you stay away and Me then too. too much time has passed and you're like ah it'd be weird if i brought it up now i don't want to make them feel weird by saying sorry for that thing Because what if they weren't thinking about that thing and now they're thinking about that thing right. it's so easy to spiral and not do it but i as as previous episodes of this podcast have said Like just ask what people need or just do something and don't expect to have like a conversation with just like, I don't know there. It's so easy to just peace out and just disappear. And sometimes that's needed, but you don't know every, every grief looks different for every person and grief looks different in every stage for every person. So being a true friend and being a true loved one means not completely disappearing unless somebody says I need time. Please leave me alone. And then, then you say, cool, I'll check back mm-hmm. in a couple of days. And then check I love back you in a couple and days. then check back in a couple of days. Like, what do you need? Would it be helpful if I like took care of your meals for the week? Would it be helpful if I took care of the lawn? Would it be care- helpful if I just like filled your cars with gas? Do you need an oil change? Mm-hmm. Like while you're dealing with all this internal struggle and grief, um, and also internal in your house, you know, because I, I I was a hundred percent I was mourning, but when I'm in a depressive state or mourning, I'm I don't look like it because I'm moving, I'm I'm doing like mundane tasks and stuff. And so specifically with this, I was just like making sure that my wife was hydrated and like fine and fed and had the blankets that she needed and just like when she needed to cry, you know, like all the different things that because as much as I was going through it, she was going seemed to be going through it so much more because it was literally happening to her body. Her body was like expelling all the things. Mm -hmm. And I was so ill-equipped to deal with this. I'm sure I failed in a million ways, but I didn't know what to do. And so neither neither of us did. And so like the depressive stuff kind of turned into manic stuff where we were just like, let's screw this. Life is bullshit. Let's go on trips. Let's spend all the money we have in savings because none of this fucking matters. And so that's what we did um but also just kind of like we just got launched into this like life is chaos both of mm-hmm. us in our own separate ways and a lot because of her gods
0: left you and then like your congregation has left yeah. you like everyone leaves you mm-hmm. when things get hard we
1: i mean i will say we did have like my parents were very uh, supportive and we had neighbors across the street that were like kick-ass mm-hmm. they were great but that really did propel me into everything is chaos what if there is no god Because I did all the things I was supposed to do. The God that was offered to me from birth was a God that revered rules, that made rules to be followed. Here's what they are. You're supposed to abstain from this stuff. You're supposed to completely immerse yourself in these things. And I did everything right. Mm. Everything. I just spiraled. And um, at this point, I couldn't tell anybody. Because all of my best friends were very, like, Christian experience with Christians where no, we only got together to talk about the good or mm-hmm. I mean, you can only talk about the bad if you were already through it and you had a Jesus message to put on the end of it. Right. Yeah. And so I didn't have that. All I had was desperation. And like I, it was a very dark time and I was, I was 27, I think 26, 27 and was going through what a lot of people went through 10 years earlier coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. They were going through the like, man, screw God, screw religion. It's all, you know, it's all a void. It's all chaos. It's all nothingness. It's all, you know, putting any kind of like meaning to it is, is naive. And you know, you're watching fight club a bunch. And like, I was started doing that stuff. Thankfully being who I am, I'm not like a, I'm not like spitting in people's faces and stuff with my, with my atheism or any of that stuff. But I definitely like went into a big spiritual it's nothing trying to go to church again felt completely i was like i Mm. you motherfuckers don't know anything Mm -hmm. i was so mad judgmental and like just like everybody that would come up and say like hey how are you i would just be like you're gonna die one day and so am i and it's all bullshit like not to Mm -hmm. their face but you know it's just this like you you like i was just so angry and and it was, it got harder and harder to put on that face. And so I just stopped going to church altogether and was very proud of the declaration that I'm not going to go to church anymore. Very much like a 19 year old would like, I'm not under your rule anymore, mom, I'm not going. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm going to do? Sleep in I'm gonna eat fruity pebbles. So I'm doing so that, but honestly, like, um, so from that point leading into like, was, that was kind of the big break and very quickly because I am me. Um, Meaning, I'm not like an angry person, but a lot of it is. I just, I'm a big, big-hearted, feely guy, and so because of that, I just this is my first. It's almost like removing God from everything. Like, it's okay, a first crisis. What if this thing, the big God, the big everything you've been taught—religion, Southern Baptist, Jesus dying on the cross—all of it. What if it isn't real? Mm-hmm. Now what? Like, I got my big, screamy like fit out of the way. And it was like, okay, now let's put it all on the autopsy table. What is it? What was this? Mm -hmm. What if it's nothing? Then what? And that absolutely set me free. Yeah. Because once you remove this thing that you're clenched to, you can sort of like pick up other things and be in a more, a freer headspace. So I started like reading authors that, I was I was always branded as not God approved um, reading philosophy books and like listening to um, like podcasts and all sorts of just things and, and really like dissecting things like, well, what if this is true? Why does this person think this is true? And then I, I found all the people who believed the thing that they believed as firmly as I believed, quote unquote, the thing that I believed. Mm. And, I found that like what we've what was kind of the theme of this podcast is everybody's thing mm. is the same as everybody else's thing. We're just calling it different things, and that freed me up completely to just love not only myself but other people because I just saw them as as me. I just did. There wasn't a, a a this and a that. There wasn't a me. There wasn't an us and a them. Also there wasn't that. an yeah. other. There was no other. Right which is amazing when there's no other and we're all kind of a part of the same thing. It is truly, it's impossible to not love because we are meant to like protect ourselves and be very like self involved and aware to an extent. Um, That's why we survive is because we're like feeding ourselves and clothing ourselves and warming ourselves and all these different, you know, it's, it's primal. But if we see everybody as ourself, we're like, Oh, there isn't a God out there who has created us as much as like we are, there is a God out there, but there's also a God here. And also I am God. And so is this person. And so is this poor person. And so is this like mega church preacher. And so is, there's no less than them anymore. We're all a part of God. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, then I can't, I'm no one to judge. So even me being mad at the church, people going to church and being like, you don't understand and being, being angry at them. I'm just doing the same thing back to them that they were doing to me, right. like judging and like, you're stupid. You don't have it figured out. I do. You're, you're just a lemming falling off the cliff. Like, I was doing the same thing, but just on the other side of it. Right. It was a very familiar state, but it was wrong. It was just the pendulum swing to the other side. Mm-hmm. But a big part of that, honestly, was listening to people who were – I found a group – or not even a group, but just several separate people who had been through the same thing I had been through and had seemingly found or were in the process of finding answers – and I was a few steps behind them and it was amazing. And one of those, I am a big podcast listener, um, f- from years and years ago. And so like, I was finding all these podcasts back then by people who used to be religious and were are kind of like, eh, religion doesn't really work anymore. But like, I, here's what I believe in God. And here I'm still spiritual. And, you know, I went through my bout of atheism and different kinds of things. And one of those was Rob Bell. Um, who's literally like, I listened to his podcast when he, his podcast was him preaching. It was literally his sermons in mm-hmm. his church in Michigan. And then he left the church and started his own podcast and, and, and speaking tours and books and stuff away from that. So and you that,
0: heard his whole arc.
1: Yeah. It's amazing yeah. to watch him like give alt, like literally I'm hearing him give altar calls, which is at the end say like, if, if you feel convicted by Christ, come forward and pray with us, um, to being like, I don't think hell exists, you know, to watch, you know, and be like, Ooh, I resonate with this. Um, he was like, I think hell, I think if hell is real, the God that you believe in, is very cruel. Mm -hmm. And I don't think God's cruel. I don't, you know, and I was like, Whoa, like, I don't know if I believe what this guy's saying, but it is interesting. Like I hear a guy with a pastor voice say all this stuff that I've never heard a pastor say. And when another guy that I want to mention briefly is Pete Holmes, comedian Pete Mm -hmm. Holmes. um, Him and I, I feel his story is very similar to mine. Um, He, I just got done reading his book, which is called Comedy Sex God, if you want to check it out. And I've been listening to his podcast for seven or eight years and his story throughout as he like, he's a very like golden retriever of a dude. He would talk about sort of like going leaving from the church, going, you know, getting married, getting divorced, having this crisis of faith, very similar to mine, but he was several steps ahead. Um, of me, and it was it was amazing to hear him voice things. And he speaks in ways that I don't speak, but the way that I understand things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like he he is the epitome of the guy who says things, and I'm like, that's so good. I've had that thought, I've never put it in those words right. though. And if you to can find those
0: people, articulate what you're feeling and thinking inside is just it's, gold.
1: It is euphoric to find that voice, and he was that for me, and still is in a lot of ways and following his arc is and now, especially like I've never met him. And honestly, it doesn't matter if I do or not. Like I feel such a spiritual kinship with him. And especially I just finished his book comedy sex God. And it's incredible how much of his, his story is that he details in that, that I didn't even know, even after listening to his podcast and stuff that is very like details that he mentions that is so specifically also mine, mm-hmm. but hearing that is so important. Because, and I feel like I hope people get that from this podcast too. Like, oh, I went through a thing, but I felt alone. And then I heard people say things that I didn't know, like I was thinking, or I was thinking and I was afraid to say. And I, hearing somebody say that, a thing you're scared to say or scared to admit that you even thought, and then you hear somebody say it out loud, that's empowerment. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Um, and, that, and that's the gift that he gave me. Self awareness has been such, has been like my companion on this journey. And, like, is honestly probably the the journey in, in itself. Like, figuring, and, and that's a large part of why I'm just able to be like, here is my story, because I have thought about it and gone mm-hmm. back and retraced steps and, like, gotten a little bit further and then went five steps back and looked and retraced those steps. Like, I have analyzed and dissected every step of my journey so many times that I'm so familiar with it um, through talk therapy and through writing um, both songs and journaling and just, like, I want to end sort of my story by saying like, if you are finding any of this familiar at all, like the journey to self-awareness and really knowing yourself, not going back to tell yourself your own story again over and over again. So it gets sort of like clocked as a certain narrative, but just truly seeking who you are, like beyond what you've been told you are it's so easy to be like yeah i'm this person i like these things because we attach ourselves so we were talking about this morning before we recorded like we attach ourselves to uh, labels. We like labels. Yeah. We like yeah. when things are thrown on us. Like, I'm, you know, I'm Nick, and I'm looking forward to Stranger Things coming out, and I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt, and because, I'm like, all of these that things. that label
0: helps you find others who are like you. Yes. It's the whole thing of finding your groups. It's the whole thing of finding your us mm-hmm. versus them. It's like, okay, well, who is the us? Mm-hmm. And labels helps you do that. It helps you find other people who think the way you think.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like through so many things, like, I'm thinking of like the, the most recent thing from a self sort of self-awareness, self-discovery thing for me is like the Enneagram um, has been very helpful in just putting words to thing. You know, it's easy to mm-hmm, roll your eyes and yeah. that kind of self-helpy stuff. The Enneagram is really good at putting yourself in a category so you can like find the doors out mm-hmm. like and grow from there. And that's been very helpful, but just anything, any kind of self, anything that self reflects back, not like, Oh, this is my upbringing. This is my story. Like when you, when you ask yourself, who are you? not asking yourself like and not answering that question by giving specific details of times and places and very earthly practical things but truly sitting with like okay who am i it's it's a big question but i feel like that sort of meditating on that it's been life changing so in true nick and sue's fashion let's pivot so like pivoting into your story yeah your sort of heartbreak from or whatever break from sort of your upbringing or Mm -hmm. this religious belief system Uh, does my story are there elements when you were listening to my story that uh, that resonate with you yes so once again not too different not too different yeah (laughs) yeah
0: my I feel like my timeline played out a little bit differently so I basically I've had two breakups with the LDS church (laughs) so the first one came when I was a teenager which I kind of talked about last week so I kind of did the thing at that point, like that pendulum swing of where you do all the things you haven't been able to do up to that point, everything, you know, that you've been told is wrong, um, and taboo, um, suddenly you are, you know, free to do those things. So I kind of went, um, between, you know, 16 through when I graduated high school, like drank a lot, um, smoked, um, like smoked weed, you know, just kind of had sex with my boyfriend, um, did all that stuff that, like, I wasn't supposed to do, and then I'm just gonna go ahead and, like, tell you some of my life story, because I feel like where I was at any point in my life, um, just really reflects, like, where I was also with, at, like, with the church at that point, too, (laughs) like, it totally informed, like, all of my decisions, so I was either, like, into church and, like, you know, being good, quote-unquote good, or like I wasn't and I just like went off the rails. And so, which is totally what happened. And so um, I I did the pendulum swing where I've never considered myself atheist. I never thought that was, you know, like God wasn't a thing. That's never, that was never a thought that I had or a belief that I had. But um, like the closest I ever came to that was in like 99 when The Matrix came out. And for like a month I was like pretty sure we were in like a computer simulation. I, like, I still am. <laughs> that was the closest I've ever come to, like, maybe, you know, maybe this is, um, but yeah, so I never went atheist, but I just did all the things I wasn't, like, supposed to do, um, and then after high school, I visited Utah, um, and Utah was where I kind of re- Discovered the LDS church just because it's so in your face in Utah. You can't escape it. Everyone, you know, I went from a place where like almost no one was a Mormon to where everyone was a Mormon. And at that point, I was not going to church. Like I wasn't, I didn't really consider myself Mormon. And I'm in this state where everyone's Mormon. The whole social structure, everything is like built around church. So all of your friends go to church. Like all of your, like everything is just church, church, church. And so when I uh, went to Utah to visit, at that point my mom lived there, my biological dad lived there, so I went there to visit, still like very much like not being a part of church. My dad and I hung out, my dad has all kinds of, my biological dad, um, like did even, went even more off the rails with him, because <laughs> he's a musician, you know those musicians.
1: Right. are <laughs> <unpredictable. laughs>
0: Um, I was a youth group musician, so I don't... Oh, uh, no. He was the addict kind of musician. See, he was I went the like,
1: other way. Yeah. We're like, those people scared me. So. Yeah. I my dad's re- the compl- least scary man ever. I can't relate to the drug addict yeah. musician. I'm more of the, you know, get high on Mountain Dew. Right. Real late. No, he night. got high on a lot of <laughs> other things. So
0: he and I both. So um, I was like introduced to like even more like hardcore stuff. Um, and so in my mind... I basically like have these two camps where it's like I have there's Mormonism and there's like drugs and sex and like, you know, music and bars. And like there's nothing really in between. Like I have these two, you know, very different ends of the spectrum that like are in my life. So at that point, like it never (laughs) it's funny that it never occurred to me that there's nothing between like meth and Mormonism. Like those, those were my two options. Like those are the two, like play, you know, those are the two camps. And it's like, there's probably a sweet spot in between somewhere where you can like live comfortably. But yeah. like now, I'm like, no, like I'm either this or I'm by this. Like which thing is it? And so, um, anyway, I hung out with my dad for a while. Like you know, met him, figured out all of those qualities. I like that. That's where I get all of my like creative stuff is, you know, from him. Um, you know, that whole side of the family. So it was like a very like self-discovery type thing you know stuff I was doing with him um and he was very young you know I was like 18 19 at that point he wasn't even 40 and so like he was younger than me now like very quickly I was like okay this is like I realized I was like this is like a phase for me and this is like a lifestyle that he's got going on for him and I was like this is not what I want to be um so at that point I moved because again still not independent like have to always be living with somebody um, I moved down to like Utah County to like where like all the Mormons are um, with my mom, and pretty quickly realized if I wanted to have any kind of like friends, if I wanted to meet people um, who weren't drug addicts who played in in bands, um, I kind of had to go to church. Like that's where everybody was. Everybody was at church, and like that's how you got to know people. And so I kind of went back to church just to you know find some kind of social outlet and meet people and so my like tobe dip back into that like it still felt very like coming from the very like subversive place where like where I just was like it felt phony it felt I was like well this is you know it seemed crazy at that point to me um to go from that like back to you know Mormon doctrine (laughs) type stuff and like ways of living um so I struggled with that for a little bit like the balance of that but um but like pretty soon like made friends who were you know Mormons and um, I kind of, you know, stopped a lot of the behavior I had going on because um, I was like, these are, like, good people with, like, good values and good, you know.
1: Was it that um, clean of a break? Um, did, did it seem like – or was there, like, some holdover where you would spend part of your time with, like, Mormon friends and part of your time, like, yeah, with your dad's yes. friends? there was
0: definitely a crossover, for sure. Yeah, Um, which was
1: – Did they know about each other? Like, was it one of those – it's so interesting cross pollinating like friend groups, especially when it's like, you know, so opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum was one of those things where like where your Mormon friends knew that you would like go to your dad's and party and stuff or <sighs>
0: kind of. And they knew that I smoked because, you know, you smell like smoke if you yeah. smoke. Um, and I think it was, at that point it was like my like Mormon friends who had become like, like I got a job and they were like my coworkers. So I met John, the guy, my husband, mm-hmm. um. And like my friends there, like they knew I was like doing stuff wasn't, you know, that wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, and I think for them, it was like, we're going to like be friends with her and hope she like comes back. Or, like we're going to take her to church and we're going to, you know, like make her good. And well, they
1: probably like, loved you then.
0: Stuff like that. They're like, oh, we can and... turn this one around. <laughs> good luck. No. Um, so th- yeah, there was a little bit of cross stuff there. Um. But I mean, really, it was just, I didn't, I didn't keep up with any of the people because they were all my dad's friends they weren't my friends. um so really it was just like when you know I hang out with my dad and we'd like get high and write music and whatever um and then I'd like go to church the next day, I don't know. And then I started like seeing less and less of my dad and just kind of you know staying in downing talk County more. and then and then I started dating John and it all just kind of like it became easier to... It was interesting because i I didn't have any kind of life skills or um not even life skills but i didn't have any idea really of like who i was or what i really believed or anything like that and i needed i figured that i needed some kind of like someone give me a template Mm -hmm. because i've got like clearly like i'm a shit show train wreck on my own like i tried leaving church and look what happened like i'm like, I just, you know, everything just went off the rails. And so for me, I was like, the church gave me a template where I was like, well, life was good when I did this stuff. Like, it kept me out of trouble. It kept me. So I went back to that where I'm like, I'm just going to do this stuff and like stay out of trouble.
1: You are and, like, the we call that a testimony in my church. Uh-huh. It was like, this is your testimony. Like, this is your story. You are like the perfect <laughs> testimony. You would have, that's, you would have gotten... So much praise from people in my church, from being like, "Oh, she like was raised this way, but fell away from God." We call it falling away, and tried it was, like you'd be up there being like, I, f- "I, I found drugs and like all this stuff, and it didn't satisfy me, and I had to come back to church." That's the the youth group story that like youth gr- youth oh. pastors like wet <laughs> dreams are made of. They're like, "Yes, this is it."
0: No, well, I didn't even go back because I suddenly I believed know, it again. It th- wasn't that's, that. That's the
1: narrative that they would have spun, though. Do you see? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's just those those felt like my two options. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't... Those are the two things being shown to me. Well, they kind of were, yeah. And so I was like, well, this one, is. I'm going to end up dead. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like this one, dead, but later. And so that's... <laughs>
1: <laughs> but not really, because... <laughs>
0: dead and also saved and maybe going to a really good place. I don't Mm -hmm. know. So, but it was that thing where I was like, it wasn't so much that I believed, like, the foundations of the gospel or anything. It was like, this is a template that, and Mormons are generally, like, really happy. Like, they're positive people. They're very service-driven. It's very, you know, they're it's really, like, contagious type thing to be around where you're like, yeah, and there's this sense of belonging. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you are so there were a lot of things that were, like, really attractive. And it wasn't necessarily that I believed in everything, like, doctrinally. It was that these are, like, really positive, sweet mm-hmm. people who I love hanging out with. and The church is very good at
1: welcoming the, yeah. aim- the aimless and lost.
0: Yeah. Yep. Which it I really totally is. was at that point. Yeah. So, you know, kind of went back to church and, and did that. But was still, you know, like, drinking, smoking. It wasn't until, you know, I started dating the guy that I would marry um and got pregnant that's when i finally like really quit smoking and then i just kind of like i kind of slowly fell back into like doing like Mormony things again and it and it made it easier like this is the truth i if had i have stayed in maryland where no one is mormon i never would have gone back to church i wouldn't have been a thing i did there um but it was very convenient well it's <laughs> and everywhere it worked, yeah like because that's what everyone is um and that's where all of your social structure is. And so, you know, the reasons I went back are fantastic. You know, it's not that I was like, this is what I believe and had a strong testimony.
1: I wonder how like much of that story is more common than you think, though.
0: Um, probably.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, honestly.
1: So like there isn't really a fantastic reason. I mean, there's just like, yeah, it was there and it was everywhere.
0: Yeah. And it was and there are lots of positive things about it. Mm-hmm. And then like once we had like, so we had our first kid, we had our second kid. Um, at that point, like, we really tried to, like, be into church. <laughs> um, and, you know, got sealed in the Mormon temple where we did, like, the Mormon wedding where, like, then it's not just like we're married, you know, till death goes apart. It's like, you know, the, in- the eternal thing. We're then, like, eternally married and, like, with our kids and everything. And there were a lot of years when I really was you know, into church. And I would say that I had a testimony of church. Um, I, there was never a time when I felt like everything was awesome and nothing was problematic. Like there was never a point like that. But there was a time when I was like, ooh, enough of this is is really true and right that I feel really good about being part of this. Um, there were a number of years that I was like in that zone. I, like there are a lot of things that I do love about the LDS church. Um, one is like the, Their ability to, like, organize the infrastructure of the church is amazing. The organization of it, the way it's set up to, like, Mormons take care of their own. We check in on each other. You have people assigned to you. You're assigned to other people. Like, it is so Mm -hmm. legitimately, like, service-oriented and and service-driven. And Mormon people know how to organize and execute. And, like, if you need something done, like, it is the most, like very type a loving like it's it's so organized it runs really great and the fact that it runs and you know that i think there's something to mormons not having like paid positions (laughs) where everything is like volunteer like these dudes aren't getting any like it's a headache man Mm -hmm. like to be a, a bishop of a ward it's hours and hours every week that you're not being like you know, on monetary, top of having like, another job, yeah, on and top probably of like being kids. a city planner or being an accountant, like, yeah, and you've got eight kids, and like now you're responsible for this congregation. Like, there's something really to people believe. People believe like they're there because they believe like they are part of this. You know, Utah is the Beehive State. Everyone working together for like this bigger. You know, as part of this bigger unit, um, and that is absolutely a true thing about the church is that they like everyone is is great at that and so I love that about the church I love um all the years that my husband was sick and after he passed away um the number of people who would just check on me and bring me things and help our family and love my kids and like the number of scout leaders and youth leaders who were like checking up on my kids like doing things that like my husband like could not do because he was too sick like I you know people really are super caring and loving um and I felt that for a lot of years before my husband got sick I was like more on the giving end of that of, like where I had a calling and was in primary and um you know were, like responsible for like the kids and like you know the primary every week and um I was in scouts for a number of years and we'll always love that about the church there are good things about the Mormon church um, it's the doctrinal stuff that I have issue with. And so for a long time, um, I really did stay in church. Um, not necessarily be- because I believed a lot of parts of it, but, but because I was like, well, there is fundamental good things happening. Like even if I don't believe all of the underpinning doctrine behind it. Like, these are good people doing good service and good works for their neighbors. And that kept me in it for a long time. When my husband got sick, my kids then saw, you know, people praying for their dad. Um, And people constantly asking them about their dad. And you can only go, like, a certain number of years of that. Like, how's your dad? We're praying for your dad. And my kids being like, praying doesn't do shit. Like hundreds of people are praying for my dad my dad is not getting better um and then the doctor's being like yeah your dad's not gonna get better like he's not gonna be cured of it's not a thing that's gonna you know he's gonna be cured of like this is a thing that like he's gonna have a degraded quality of life until he finally dies and um you know he would receive like priesthood blessings from people um you know or earlier on he would get these blessings saying like you know you'll be like cured of these things like you know so my kids are seeing and it was really hard for me to have these conversations with my kids of like why like well dad's not getting better and seeing them getting kind of angry and bitter and me knowing the things I've been taught to say like I know the answers I'm supposed to be giving them but the answers don't feel true in my heart I cannot bring myself to, like, regurgitate them to my kids. The whole thing of, like, if you're living righteously and good things happen to you, you're being blessed. If you're living righteously and bad things happen to you, it's because you're being tested and there's something you're supposed to learn. If you are not living righteously and good things happen to you, it's because, well, don't worry, they've got something coming sometime. Like, even if it's in the afterlife, you know, they're not really going to be long-term happy. And then, you know, and if you're not living righteously and bad things happening, it's like, there you go. God's punishing you. And so yeah, it's, it's so we had, we had that easy to explain away anything. You can it, make that exactly. go any way you need I feel need like that that's
1: religious across the board. Yes, it is. Because the whole like, well, there are bad people who things are happening to them. So they're getting success. Yeah. And it was always like, well, you know what? Secretly, they're unhappy. Yes. you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or they've got like, it's coming. Don't worry. Yeah, Let it's it coming. Yeah. So what if it's
1: coming for you, Noreen?
0: (laughs) So it was really hard for me to like, I knew the things I was supposed to say to my kids. And but I didn't believe those things myself. And I'm like, I can't say those things to my kids, man. And um, so there was there was, you know, that element. There was the element of my daughter. um, Once she was in junior high, really started like kind of she went through junior high for her was like really hard and as she was kind of like figuring out like her sexuality and I, I figured out, I kind of knew what was going on before she did, I think even. Um, and so when she came to me with that, like, like, I already, like, I'm like, honey, this isn't, I know, sweetie, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. Um, and, but there was that element where I was like, man, in a church environment, like, like what, okay, how am I going to play this? Like I'm thinking, I'm looking at my daughter and I'm like, Am I going to be like, we're going to go in there every week? Like, we're going to be the change. We're going to stay. We're going to make them look this in the face and, like, realize that, like, I'm like, am I going to ask her to take that on? Am I going to ask her to go into church every week? And I'm like, she's got enough shit in her life that, like, also, we don't have to be the poster people for, like, tolerance and acceptance. Like, I just could not. I'm like, nope, I am not going to ask that of her if anything, I was like, I don't want that shit to touch my daughter. I don't want for a second for her to like question, like, do I have to white knuckle through this? Like what is, so at that point there were, you know, there were a certain number of, of things between my husband's illness and my kids just getting older and asking questions and figuring out who they were. That all of a sudden, like all of these underpinnings of church teachings really start becoming very apparent and very like on the forefront of things or before I could kind of like ignore them and just kind of like, that's okay. We can, you know, kind of like internally roll our eyes at this when it's being taught, you know, in church, but like still, you know, go, go forth and serve and do this. Like there came a time when that became much harder. It became much harder. Um, and suddenly you have to address these things and these, um, you know, these, these issues that are extremely problematic in the teachings of the gospel. Um, and so for me at that point, like my kids started getting older and I'm like, no, you know what? You don't have to go to church. We don't have to go to church. And church for me became more and more where I would, you know, every week I'm like, my husband was too sick to go. And sometimes I'm using air quotes, too sick to go because he didn't want to go. He used his illness, honestly, as an excuse for a lot of things that he didn't want to do. If he didn't want to do something, it's like, I'm too sick. Tell him, sorry, I'm too sick today. Um, and sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes he wasn't. But at that point, you know, tr- he wasn't going to church. And he probably could have been, but was not. And me um, being a martyr, which is a whole completely different <laughs> mm-hmm. episode, um, but was still, like, dragging my kids every week. And... Um, making us go for probably longer than I should have made us go. Um, but like, I was feeling angry every like every week I would come home just feeling so angry at the things being taught in Relief Society, which is like the woman lesson. <laughs> like where all the, you know, the women go for like their lesson and the men go in and they have priesthood and they get their lesson and like, just, I was feeling angry. And I'm like, church isn't supposed to make me feel angry every freaking week when I come home. Like I just felt unsettled and, like, mad at people and mad at my, like, neighbors who are teaching this stuff. And I love my neighbors. I still love the neighbors I had in Utah. Um, The best freaking people. But suddenly, like, being f- really forced to, like, look at these things. Like, do you believe these things? And I didn't believe these things. Um, And so that, for me, started, like, really the pulling away where, where I was like, there's a lot more now to pull me away from church like that i can no longer ignore Mm. you said
1: you never really like had it yeah it was was sort of like you saw the problems but you were also like this is a really good social function Mm -hmm. so what were your beliefs and like how did they change like okay you know you know i'm asking Mm -hmm.
0: okay here's my thing with the word beliefs (laughs) so i feel like the words hope And faith and belief and knowing all get conflated in like religious conversation. Like I feel like we kind of use them interchangeably and they're like super different things. So I feel like so many people in the Mormon church say, I know, I know this church is true. You start out like as a little kid in primary when you learn to bear your testimony, which is to get up and like say what you believe like to the congregation Or to like, you know, the whole primary. You get up and you're like, I like to bear my testimony. I know this church is true. It's like one of the first things you're taught to say. Um, And to know a thing (laughs) means that you have, God has visited you. He has laid out that this is his gospel. He, you know, he like, okay, here's the path for your life. I'm writing this out. This is what you need to do to return to me. That is knowing. That would have to happen for you to know that this is true. To believe that it's true would be like to have other kinds of confirmations as true aside from speaking with God directly. And I'm not talking about prayer. I'm talking about if God were in front of you, right? So that's the difference between belief and knowing. So um, you can have all kinds of like confirmation, like confirmations of the spirit when you feel overwhelmed, you know, in prayer or to, you know, I've had all kinds of those things. Um, I had a conversation like when my husband passed away, when I was dressing him um, before the funeral and the days leading up to the funeral, um, I had a very intense, um, had a very intense encounter where I know he was there. You know, it was very spiritual. It was very and that was as real to me as anything that has ever happened in my life um, that, you know, I very much believe he was there. Um, and so I've I've had those kinds of things where I have belief in things and I struggle with people who, I'm sure this is in other churches too, but in the Mormon church, when people say like, I choose to believe, I don't know that you can choose to believe a thing. Um, belief doesn't feel like a choice to me. Faith feels like a choice to me. (laughs) Faith and hope feel like things you choose. Um, to have faith in the thing is to say, like, this is problematic, but there are so many good things about it that I still have faith that this can be right, that this can work, mm-hmm. that this can be the right thing. Um, and then hope, I feel like, is a thing that maybe you have when shit's gone real sideways and it's like, man, I don't know, there's this, 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 and this, but I hope it works out. So I feel like knowing and believing are things you you don't have, you know, like, conscious choice in and faith and hope maybe are. Um, and so when I say my belief in things, I feel like my core beliefs really haven't changed a whole lot. I remember, you know, like I will go through the motions and follow like church principles when I was going to church. Um, a lot of the things I followed though was just going through the motions because it's like, well, this is what you do when you go to church. And it wasn't necessarily that I was doing them because I believed in them, but more because like, well, everyone else is doing it. This is the thing, like, this is the thing, you know, we're, we're doing, um, but my belief, I remember when I was like, I don't know, early 20s, like kind of just starting to go back to church a little bit, like socially. And I had this older missionary couple talking to me and, you know, asking me all these questions about, well, what do you think, you know, happens after you die? Wouldn't you like to be with your family forever? don't you da 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 And I remember saying to them, well, I think you probably get to be with your family after anyway. I don't think you have to jump through all these hoops. And them saying, no, actually you do. These are the things you have to do. Like here on earth, you have to do this work. You have to prove yourself worthy. You have to like do all these things. And me just being like, I don't think that's true. (laughs) Like just feeling in my heart, like, I don't think you have to do all those things. Um, And then them saying... You know, wouldn't it be great if there were, you know, there is one true church. Do you wanna, you know, let's talk about it. Me being like, I don't think there is one true church. I don't think there's one group that's got it all figured out. Um, I think there's good in lots of places. Um, I feel like if you free up your white knuckle hold on like having to like believe wholeheartedly in this one in any one group of things, um, it frees you up to like find good and truth in like so many other places. And I remember saying that, too, being like, no, I think there's, I don't think any one group has it figured out. I think there's, like, good in lots of places. And then being like, no, 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 There, there is only one, and it's this one. Um, and so, but I, I, I feel like I've kind of swung, like, it took me 20 years, but I feel like I've swung back to the same place where I'm like, no, I don't think there's any one group that's kind of figured out. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any one religion. I think... There's lots of truth in lots of places. There are truths in the Mormon church, just like there are truths in like lots of, lots of places. Um, But I don't think you have to follow this, 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 and this, um, you know, to get to that destination after. I just, I don't think it's all the hoop jumping Mm -hmm. that um, the Mormon church teaches that there is, and other churches too, but the Mormon church has a lot of them. (laughs) There are a lot of hoops you have to jump through to you know to get to the celestial kingdom which is like the big kingdom kingdom and we have several kingdoms um but to get to like the big good one like there's a whole host of things you got to do and rules you have to follow so
1: it seems like that that idea of hoop jumping here are all the rules here are all the checkpoints here are all the things you do all these line them up knock them out over the course of your life that stuff is very man-made to me the idea that like the more that I, or I guess say the further I get away from it all, the more I'm kind of realizing like that there is order. I feel like there is order and there is there in the same time that there is chaos. It's just kind of all coexisting on a plane that we can't fully understand, but, but it seems more, whatever the, whatever God is in whatever form you want to put him in or her or it or whatever, it seems that it's more free flowing than anything. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the fact that we are even here, seems like we won. Like, we're fine. Yeah. We're fine. Like, putting even more rules and stipulations and focusing on the petty, on the, like, mm, well, you're not doing all, this, all the steps you're supposed to do to get to this point. Like, mm-hmm. it, they should be, they should offer, those types of things should be more offered up as suggestions to if you want to, you know, like, you're fine how you are, but if you want to enter into a m- little bit more, like, and get more in depth, here are some things that you can turn into a practice or a meditation instead of, like, check off all these boxes and Mm -hmm. you'll be fine and you'll go to the thing that we all agree on is true and correct
0: yeah so i I feel like the lds church has a kind of it's kind of a version of that where it's like there are like tiers there are different kingdoms Mm -hmm. and depending on how true you stay to certain things like you end up in like any one of those kingdoms but it's like the goal is to get to the big one right right? so if you end up anywhere lesser it's like well, you'll be happy, like, you'll be happy there, because mm. you're, like, you know, like, that's where mm, condescending. <laughs> that's kind of who you are at your core, like, you know, but it feels like a disappointment, like, that you're a mm-hmm. disappointment, like, that that's, yeah. you know, if you don't get to the celestial kingdom, sure. um, so, I don't know, my, my big takeaway from leaving the church a second time, <laughs> But in more of like a conscious grown up yeah, this, way this Yeah, The time. second
1: time feels like you saying no. Yeah. It
0: um like my first choice. time was just a rebellion. Yeah. And kind of a, you know, like haul past to go nuts. Mm-hmm. Um but the second time is more conscious. Um, I think I feel like church has always kept me out of more or less out of trouble. <laughs> like I've used church for that. And um Leaving the church now, I know how to be an adult with my own set of values, my own set of ideals and like standards of behavior. And, you know, I've grown up and I've always, every time, like every time I've been in church and then when I went back to church, it was always because I needed some, I had no sense of direction and didn't know how to not be self-destructive. And so I needed some kind of, like, I used the church as a template where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I guess I'm going to do this. Like, here like here's some structure for me, um, because I didn't know what else to do other than be self-destructive, and I was very self-destructive. And so I feel like I kind of had to, by growing up, like, through my 20s, having kids, having a sick husband, having to learn to be a grown-up and speak up for myself and, you know, kind of essentially, like, finally be- actually mm-hmm. become an adult – Um, and figure out what's important to me. What are my beliefs? What do I, you know, what are my standards? What, figuring all that out on my own. I feel like I used, I personally used church as a crutch for, like, show me a way to be until I can figure out my own way to be. And I feel like I kind of figured out my own way to be to where I'm like, okay, like, this no longer works. I no longer need this. This no longer works for me. And all the, all of the parts that I was kind of, that felt very problematic that I was kind of overlooking, um, I just don't need any of that anymore, I'm like, nope, like, and now I can set it down, and I don't even have to worry that, like, I'm still trying to adhere to this while trying to reconcile all of these problematic, like, parts of it, I don't even have to do any of that anymore, I can just set the whole thing down and be like, nope, and, like, here's who I am, here's what I believe, here's how I'm gonna live, and just have that feel absolutely true, and, all- like, every part of it feels true and authentic, and I don't have to try to reconcile, like, messy, par- I don't know, um, I just feel everything feels very authentic now. Mm
1: -hmm. In Pete Holmes' book, he talks about reflecting back on his time in, in the church and everything. And he basically says that same thing where like his entryway into religion and following all the rules and going through the motions and using that template was like a gateway God. He was like, whatever gets you in the like, Mm -hmm. we are energy, like we are as human beings, we are spiritual, we have this capacity for spirituality. Um, So whatever gets you in that door in that arena is great. But you have to pay attention to yourself. And religion is very bad about teaching you to be like, okay, well, where are you now with this Mm -hmm. and constantly check in. And if it's the moment it stops working, you need to leave it because then it starts getting really problematic. And you start like, sort of that's where where a lot of guilt and shame even guilt and shame about your unbelief like i had a lot of that oh, like yeah. so many of my prayers the last like 100 times i prayed were god help my unbelief like god yeah. help me believe cuz i don't yeah and even in praying i was secretly like man if anybody walked in right now they totally see how good i'm praying <laughs> like you know like it was all kind of performative it was yeah. all kind of like this is what i'm supposed to do i think and so but i think that's that's okay like for you know the whole gateway god idea because if I had didn't have that spiritual structure to grow up in or to n- know from an early age now I have more of a context to put things in or at the very least I know what I'm not mm-hmm. you know and I, I know what didn't work for me and which is just as valid as what does work for you like
0: what's well, that whole idea of like when you talk about you know, you you pick up this thing and for both of us, it's it's the thing that we inherited, right? Like both of our family, like we were yeah. born into a belief system. So you've inherited this set of things that you're carrying around. And, you know, you, when you finally bump up against something that really questions that, right, you have like your crisis or whatever, and you just throw all of it down and you go through it. You don't have to leave all of it down. But at that point, that's when you pick up like, okay, how much of this is true? How much mm-hmm. do I pick back up all, off of this like autopsy table um because there are true parts in it. And so mm-hmm. and that's what's awesome is that you get to, like then you choose. It's like okay, what what else am I consciously now choosing to pick back up that that feels right to me? And then stuff that's not even on that table.
1: This is a good segue into like what we believe now. Yeah. Or kind of where we are now. Yeah. Do you have more you want to say?
0: Here's where I wish we could get to, guys. Everybody. Everybody. Okay? If we could all just get on the same page. If we could take everything that I love about church, that I love the the service and the helping each other mm-hmm. and the inclusive of everybody and we take care of each other, that whole thing. We keep that, right? Because that's solid. But I feel like it's so weird to me that we have split into groups, <laughs> all these different groups, and are so, us you know, us and them. And the whole foundation of it is everything that happened before we got here and what happens after we leave here. Which no one knows. No one knows. No one fucking knows. Mm-mm. But that mm-hmm. is where we were putting all of the. Like, <laughs> that's where we're putting all the weight of like who we choose to like surround ourselves with and and talk to and have in our lives mm-hmm. and make our closest friends and. Oh my gosh, none of us know. So if we would just focus more on like everyone, like here, what about while we're here? Mm-hmm. What do you believe? Like we should be while we're here. And how should we be to each other while we're here? Like, all the stuff before, all the stuff after, like, that will work itself out. Mm -hmm. But, oh my gosh, if we were so, if we were as intent on being selective about who we're around every day based on how we treat each other here in this moment while we're on this earth, Mm -hmm. the groups we would associate with would be completely different. It would not be like all the people of our church congregation that would not be the people we would have in our lives.
1: No, we'd be way more present. We, we, we'd be way, honestly, way more Christ-like way more, way more like the thing the gospel really does preach, which is to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, Christ said, what you do with the least of these is what you do. You're doing that to me. And it's so easy to, we've categorized it all and like made it all us and them, including the before and the after. Um, but the here and now seems to be completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. Which is heartbreaking. Once it was I heard it I heard it explained and I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, but it was explained once uh, to me that the idea of heaven and hell is a construct that what if what if the twist of it all is that heaven and hell exist within each of us and we have the ability to be heaven on earth for our fellow man mm-hmm. by being good and kind and helping. And, you know, and, and then hell also like we have the ability to, you know, like man, man has the ability to like rem- take children off of this earth and, and make it a hell on earth for, you know, to yeah. walk into a school and an open fire yeah, and make it hell on earth for not only those children, but also the parents that have to deal in the community. And we also have the ability to like go into you know, to keep the children metaphor going children's hospitals Mm -hmm. and sit with these children who are scared and like, you know, help people who are actually trying to do something like we have the ability for both. So what if that's it instead of like, who cares what happens here? Because I know where I'm going, I'm going to die. Like, what if, what if you miss it completely? And it's here.
0: Rob Bell has it has some kind of iteration of that Mm where heaven and hell are right here right now. It's all right here.
1: And even if you don't believe that, what if you lived that way? Right. Who cares? We don't know what's coming next. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the afterlife is. So maybe like, what if you, there's nothing wrong with living as if that is the case, because most people would lean towards be good, do good, help your fellow man, be a friend, like share love. Who cares what it looks like? Just more love in this world is good. And that, that honestly, like you're right. There's so much, we're mi- it's, a, it's just missing the point. We're focusing on the on the details of something and missing the whole The weight thing. is
0: all put on something that none of us know. No one knows. That's where we're putting all the
1: weight. I know.
0: Hey, read me that thing.
1: Okay. So <laughs> <clears throat> there's a thing that Pete Holmes says. I'm going to read this uh, little passage in his book. Because a lot of uh, the ways that I, I kind of see um, so much of the way that that God is and Jesus and all, all of the sort of Christian modern American Christianity is kind of tossed to us is through this box that I don't really, I look in this box and I don't see any of the components that resonate with me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, They feel old or outdated or just plain, like there's so many plot holes. It's just, you can't even look at it. And I think most of all, I just don't have a, I don't think that these things are supposed to be put in the box in the first place. As soon as you try to put it in a box, um, it stops becoming the thing that attracted you to it in the first place. There's a book that I'm, I'm in the middle of right now called this, um, by Michael Gunger, who's a former Christian music pastor person. um, and he, he uses the example of if you go out into the ocean, which is this beautiful, I know one of your favorite things, this mm. beautiful, vast, spiritual thing, like this thing that moves and flows and is like engaging and you, just, you can stare at it for hours and, and have all of the deepest thoughts. And you see these waves crashing on the, on the shore and you're moved by the waves and you're enamored by the waves. And you take that and you put it in a glass box. You, t- you capture a wave in a glass box, like, a, like a, an aquarium. And you put a lid on it and you bring it home and you put it on your front porch and you're going to show this wave to everyone around you and everyone who comes in contact with your home will see this wave and know a part of you. But what happens when you put a wave in an aquarium, it's just dirty yeah. water. yeah. Because the, we focus so often on that and not the point that like, the point of the thing is not to put it in a box. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful when it's left alone to be wild and free. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we try to contain it, so we can study it or understand it um,
0: or condense it to show condense other people. It to yeah. our,
1: yes, to yeah. our, our very small minuscule brains trying to understand it. It, it kind of loses its power. Mm-hmm. And that metaphor is really powerful to me because I think that's what I try to do for so long, which is so frustrating to me. So it's putting the thing, putting the mystery in a box changes it completely we have to just be okay with it being a mystery. And that's, that's kind of where, where Pete starts with this. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read, but he says, uh, he starts with the, the Zen philosopher, Alan Watts, uh, quote saying when a chicken comes out of the eggshell, the eggshell is not something to be deplored. It's something to be broken, but had the shell not existed, the chicken wouldn't have been protected. So in precisely the same way, images, religious ideas, religious symbols exist in order to be constructively and lovingly broken. Now, the rest of this is Pete. He says, I'm grateful the church gave me a safe place in which to grow and play and laid a foundation for what would later become a deeply satisfying spiritual path. It took me from one place to the next. It was like third grade. I got into religion for certainty, to have a set of ideals and beliefs I could carry around in my head and know, and know that I knew so I could be in God's club. If there's one thing I would tell myself at the peak of my traditional faith, The Pete who went to Christian college, the Pete who was planning on being a youth pastor, the Pete who went on mission trips and led worship and knew all the chords to As the Deer by heart. It's this. It's not about certainty. Losing things, changing how and what you believe is all a part of it. It was the plan all along. It's not about how long you can hold on to the first hot potato you were handed, the faithful being let into heaven with their burned hands smelling like French fries. Well done, good and faithful potato holder. This isn't an endurance test, if you can maintain the faith you inherited as a child. It's messy, and it's supposed to be messy. It's mysterious, because it's a mystery. I once saw losing my faith as the worst thing I could possibly do, the one thing I was told never to do, and now I see it as an essential step to my developing into a three-dimensional, vibrant, living faith. I think this is what Christ meant when he said, You have to lose your life to find it. I had to lose my faith to find it. You can't just sign for someone else's God delivery. You can't just worship others' spiritual experience, their rapture, their truth, their conversion. You need to find your own. And to do that, you need to get your hands dirty. Faith isn't certainty, it's adventure, something you're going to come back from dusty and bruised, having seen and done things you never would have even considered before. Your doubt is welcome on this journey, As is your disbelief, you're going to meet so many different approaches to God. Enjoy them all. Collect as many stamps in your passport as you can. And he ends with, "This is Joseph Campbell, uh, his his idea of a hero's journey." He says, "You're in a village and it's nice, safe, familiar, comfortable. It's chicken night, and you love chicken, but you feel a call to go to the woods. You've been told your entire life not to go to the woods." but you're compelled and you leave on chicken night and it's not nice. It's unsafe, unfamiliar, uncomfortable, and you're cold and hungry and lost, but you get strong and you kill your own chickens and learn your own way. You meet others, people who have never even heard of your village and you learn. You slay dragons, get wounds, Find swords and heal. You find out what you're made of and realize what you were looking for was a part of you all along. But the story doesn't end there. The final step is every hero's journey is to come back. You return to the village the same but different. And the village is the same but you see it differently. And you tell everyone what you learned in those forbidden woods around the fire adding spices to their chicken they've never dreamed of. Telling the story about the time that you did the one thing you were told never to do and isn't that i mean i'll be damned that's not exactly what we're talking about here the gospel that i was preached growing up was the gospel of safety was the gospel of fear there was love in there but love was never without fear right it was if you stay in these four walls of this church you'll be fine you leave here and we cannot like promise your safety yeah. And safety was the one thing especially being just this sweet little kid that I was, I was scared of other. And so the and I eventually got to the point where I was like I can't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. This isn't safety. These people are just people. These walls can be burned down. There's no also, safety the, is an illusion. The
0: safety you were promised it didn't come anyway. Nope. You weren't safe.
1: No. I got obliterated. Yep. So what then? To the woods.
0: To the woods. To the woods, Nick Flora.